Uh, before I left last week, uh, two weeks ago, I did a one-off on money. Uh, this was, we have a lot of new faces that are coming and I was just sharing about my heart because we don't take up offerings and have offering sermons every week and pass buckets. And, and that's very intentional to me and to what I feel like the Lord's asked of me when we built this building. I felt the Lord spoke to my heart. Don't stand up and ask and beg or plead for offerings. Just preach the gospel and I'll speak to people. But when you get a lot of new faces coming on how do we give, where do we give, we'd love to give, we want to help. Uh, I just feel like it's kind of an obligation a couple of times a year to kind of make mention of why we do what we do. But in that message, it gendered a conversation. And the conversation was, well, I know we don't talk about giving a lot here, you know, from me personally as a pastor, but it gendered a question of, well, what do I believe about tithing? Do I believe people should tithe? Uh, because I don't talk about that a lot either. So I thought, well, if it's gendering questions and I'm being asked questions to be a good shepherd, I just want to tell you what I believe. So can I just tell you what I believe today about tithing? To put you at peace, I'm not going to do a gimmick. I'm not going to pass out cards to get your money at the end of it. You can relax. There's not going to be a let's pay the debt of the building off today or anytime shortly after today. It's just I need to share with you what I believe, and I pray what I share with you today inspires you, and you go out changed. Let's look at the scripture Victoria Kate read. This is from God. Should people cheat God? Yet you cheated me, but then they asked God back. Well, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? And then God, which is strange. Now, this is the last book of the Old Testament. So to build a... Not only the last book of the Old Testament, but it's probably the go-to scripture. If you want to talk tithing, most everybody's going to jump to Malachi 3 to talk about it. But the problem with that is we're jumping into the last book of a story. And then we try to build a topic. It would be like jumping in the middle of Gone with the Wind and trying to explain who Rhett Butler is when you have no clue. And so if we're not careful, we'll jump in here to explain it and be really weird with it. He said, well, you cheated me in these two things, in the tithes and offerings, and I put it in the red, do me. In other words, God literally considers it a do, which is weird, like heaven has some HOA fee to it. All right? <laughs> really. I mean, that's my thinking. Here's the thought. This is me. Now, I was told in the church I went to to tithe. I was taught by my parents to tithe. At age 15, I got my first job. One of my dad's first things was, as soon as they pay you, you need to tithe. At 15, I was like, what's the tithe? I knew. I grew up. He said, it's 10%. You get 100, you give 10. You give 10, you give 1. You give 1, you give, you give a dime. He said, everything is owed to God, 10%. You give him his first. Even if you say you can't afford it, you can always afford it because it comes off the top. Because in my mind, I'm like, Dad, I can't afford 10%. I got to go on a date. I got this. I got these things I want to do. I'm only making $16 a week anyway at 15 years old. Surely God doesn't want a buck 60. I can't afford it. He said, well, God gets his off the top. Kind of like the government. Anybody ever wonder why they get theirs off the top? I can't afford taxes. They know that. That's why they take it off the top and give you the rest. <laughs> So my thinking at 15 was, how can I cheat God when I'm on a limited income? Because I was always told he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So I'd always make a joke, why does he need my money when he's got plenty of cows? 
And that was really, I thought, not only a joke, it's a pretty good topic. Why does God need my money if he's in heaven and I'm here? I could do it better with it. But I was still told, you need to tithe. Now, growing up in church, here's what I've come to note. Bring all the tithes, it says in the scripture she read. I'll open the windows of heaven. I'll pour out blessings on you in the blue. You'll be abundant. I'll guard you from disease. And, I'll, and other people will call you blessed. Here's the thought to that. One thing, this is 35 years of pastoring. This is 15 to age 57. So that's 42 years of Jesus with me giving God 10% of my money. I have asked people. I have read books. I've been in services. I wrote this. One thing is strangely peculiar. The tithe is the most misunderstood religious duties among Christians. In my 40-something years of doing this, following God in tithing, and 33 years of pastoring, here's what I've come to note. Some people believe you don't need to tithe. It's Old Testament. Some people believe you better tithe because you owe it to God. Some people believe if you don't, you're cursed. Other people believe it doesn't matter what you do, you're never cursed. Some people teach that if you want to be in leadership, you must give 10% of your money. That if you're not a tither, you can't hold a leadership position. You're booted out of leadership if you don't tithe. And so I've been in, I cannot tell you how many sermons I've heard for it and how many sermons I've heard against it. It is for today, it's not, you're cursed, no, you're blessed if you tithe. Now here's my thinking. In all of the years of doing this, I have consistently gone back and forth with what do I believe about it. Uh, when you're just raised in it, you don't question it, right? You do, if you're raised tithe, you just do it because it's what daddy told me, mama told me, every preacher told me, I, every, especially in the denomination I grew up in, it was always part of tithe, tithe, you need to be tithing. Oh my God, if you don't tithe. And then if you didn't tithe, you kind of felt subpar. You felt sub-Christian. You really weren't there yet. You haven't arrived. So I would even hear people say, well, I'm not at 10%, I'm at 2%. I would laugh like that's not even how it works. It's either 10 or none. I mean, you don't get to work yourself up to it. But the one thing I've noted, and this is why I say it's strangely peculiar as well. In every church I've been a part of, I have asked people who do tithe, is your life better because of it? Now, that, there's no, they're not getting a present. There's no grading system. It's just one question. Do you believe that your life is better since you started giving God 10% of your income across the board? And by across the board, I'm going 99.9. Of every person that has ever told me, I give 10% of my business's money, 10% of my personal money, or anything I make to God, my life has been better because of it. Now, I don't know. I, I've not done every human on planet Earth. I don't know if that works over in the jungles where they don't have money. They're bringing fruit. But every person I've asked says my life goes better because of it. I don't know if it's magic. I don't know if it does some kind of weird thing in the supernatural realm. 
But it makes me scratch my head and go, dear Lord, if every person I've ever asked says that their life has been better because of it, it does make me slow down a minute and go, I might need to think this through. At least stop and question it more and at least dig it out. So I've done that. What I'm sharing with you today is not a sermon to try to hopefully get more money in this church. It's to teach you what I've worked out in my personal life on a limited income as a preacher. I've always been a church planter, so I've never just made tons of money, uh, but I've always given. I've always tithed, and I would consider, if you looked at my bank account, you'd probably think, bless that little boy's heart. But if you look at my life, you'll say, that old boy is blessed and highly favored. Everything goes his way. Everything works for him. And uh, so I can't always explain it, but I will say of my own self, I have never, other than salvation and perhaps the baptism of the Spirit, I have found not one other thing that has such an impact on the personal livelihood of planet Earth as being a giver who totally trusts God with everything they have. And I want to teach you about this today, and I don't know how you were raised, but I called it the timeline of the tithe. Because remember, the verse we read is the last book of the Old Testament. So we have 38 other books in front of that one. And if we're not careful, we'll pick that one little scripture out and tell you how you must tithe. So I thought, well, could I go from the beginning of time to present-day Mark Evans and determine, is the tithe legit? Do you owe it to God or not? And if you don't do it, what happens? And if you do it, does something happen? And what's the point of it? If there even is a point. Because typically the point is the preacher just needs more money. Or it's my way to get into a special club or a group if I give more money. Or the preacher said, if I do it, I won't be cursed. And so I would like to just go through. This is how I've worked it out. You don't have to believe it. But I'm going to give you what I've worked out and let you chew on the fat, spit out the bone if you don't like it, and determine if it's legit to you. I pray it is because I try not to just share things off the cuff. I try to give it to you like I've learned it. To understand the tithe and the offering, which is what God said you cheated me in, we just got to go back and start picking up all the first-time offerings in the book of Genesis. And by picking up everybody's offering, we might could learn a lot about why God is so particular that he determines if you don't do it, you cheated me. So let's start at offering number one. It's Abel, Cain and Abel. It's the first time we know in the Bible that a human being would bring anything to God. And accordingly, there was no cash, there was no Venmo, there was no online giving. So whatever he brought, he had to bring it that was in his control. And we know this about Abel. Uh, Biblically, he was a shepherd. So in his 50 feet, his livelihood consisted of he raised small animals, sheep and goats. It's what he did. He was a herdsman. So when he wants to bring something to God, he has to reach into the thing that is kind of his livelihood, and he's to bring it to God. So what we can say of the first offering, it wasn't necessarily connected to money, dinero, which is what we have today, and offering buckets. 
It was connected to a guy that lived on planet Earth that wanted to bring something of worth to God. And so here's the story we pick up. When they, that's his brother Cain, when Cain and Abel grew up, Abel became a shepherd. There's his job, so this is his job. May not be a good one, but it's what he had. While Cain cultivated the ground, said he was a farmer. So what we've got is we got a shepherd and a farmer. All right, That was pretty good, by the way. I, and my children's church days are coming back. I might break out the puppet in a minute. <laughs> I'm a master puppeteer. <laughs> when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops to the, as a gift to the Lord. So here's what we can say. It's obviously a gift. It like I don't know if God's going to come down and beat him on the head. It's a gift. So think Christmas, although there's no Christmas yet, but it's gift-giving time. And Abel in the yellow also brought a gift. So both brothers bring a gift. This is the first offering we have. The best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock and the Lord accepted his gift. So whatever Abel determined it was, I ain't going to cheat him. I'm going to give him the top lamb of all the lambs. They got really quiet. Because <laughs> a lot of us today would be given the gimp lamb. The one that can't mate. The one that's got the mane, just like, he's no good anyway. Give him to God, we're going to kill him anyway. But the beauty of the very first offering, he didn't get the cheap gimp lamb that couldn't mate and have things. He gave him the top dog. He gave him the AKC registered sheep. He gave him the sheep-a-doodle. It's the one that's really expensive. But whatever it was, he gave the best one and he gave the firstborn to the Lord and God accepted it. Next verse. One day Cain, his brother, suggested, let's go out to the fields. And while they were in the field, now here's what's weird. We have the first murder in the Bible and the first murder in the Bible is connected to the first offering of the Bible. So let's never think that this is not an important topic. He murdered his brother because he got ticked about the offering. God accepted Abel's but did not accept Cain's and Cain got ticked and murdered his brother. So let us not dare think that just because we give money it goes better for somebody. You would think that the dude that gave the first portion God would have given him an angel and slapped Cain on the back of the head. So I need to be careful to think if I really bring all this stuff to God that God's going to like me better than other people. That's just what I get out of that. That's not here today. That's just this story. Because I, I look at this and go, okay, so let me see. I give you the best. I give you the top dog. I give you the best sheep. I bring it. You even say how much you like what I brought you. And then you let me die? I'd just soon not bring you nothing. If that's the way this relationship between me and you is going to go down. Now, if you're not careful, you will bring tithes and offerings to God thinking that the moment you put it in, you're never going to have a battle. If you're not careful, you'll use it as witchcraft. It's not witchcraft here. But something powerful is happening, though. 
Something so powerful is happening that it obviously ticked off the dark side of the world that began to come against the side of the world that got approved by God. Oh, I'll show you approval. I'll murder you. So here's what I can take out of the first story. It would tell me this, that um, it might not always go my way, but it doesn't mean that the offering's not valid. And that when I give God the best... I can say this, no matter what the world does to me, I have his approval. Because a lot of people think, well, it's just not going my way. God must be against me. No, 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 no. Just because it doesn't go your way doesn't mean God is against you. Sometimes things just don't go your way, but it doesn't mean God's up there going, I really don't like you. Because we know he accepted him. So I wrote these things down for Abel's offering. Here they are. It's not that brilliant, but it... It's just it. He brought the best. He brought the first. It was a gift. It was a sacrifice, meaning he had to kill it and shed the blood. But it cost him his life, but God was pleased. I don't know if I want to serve that God. I would rather be, and God was pleased at my best, end of the story. I don't want to shed blood. I don't want to kill anything. And I definitely don't want to give my own life. So anytime we talk about offerings, you better know we're talking about more than you just copping God a check or giving him a $5 bill and running out the door. Long before there were preachers that made you give money to get on a team or we had building debts to pay for, there's something supernatural about offerings because it ticked off the dark world and it caused death and a murder of a human being. The first murder is over an offering. Here's the next offering in line of the Bible. It's Noah. Noah is the next place we stop off to see what his offering was about. Let's jump in. Hope you know the story. When everything was ready, that's a hundred years later. So we, we, we just clicked off a hundred years at the comma. He's been building a boat for a hundred years. God now says to Noah, go in the boat, you and all your family from among the people, and I can see that you alone are Righteous. So now we see that God's not only commenting on a man's offering and calling it acceptable, he's now commenting on a human, calling a human righteous, which is weird. But then he says, take with you seven pairs. This is a great trick question. If you love Bible trivia, trick question, how many pairs of animals did he take? If you say only two by two, you'll miss it. You'll flunk that test, so you're welcome. This Christmas, use it. Take with you seven pairs of animals, male and female, meaning God has no gender identity confusion. Mm, you're welcome. <laughs> I thought I'd throw that in real quick. Just, uh, we're not even out of Genesis yet. And God's like, yeah, male, yeah, female, yeah, that's good. I don't know how, we're so smart we can't tell today, but this is God. He's probably a little slower than we are. Take with you seven pairs of male and female of each animal. Now watch, here's the word again, that I have approved. For eating and for what? God is already thinking post-flood. God is already thinking it's going to get really bleak for you for about a year. But I'm so far ahead of you, I need you to take some animals so once we're through this commotion of a mess where everything around you is dying, just know when you get off that boat, I'm expecting 
an offering of sacrifice. So here's what I can gain with God. God is expecting me to always have something put back as a sacrificial offering for him. It doesn't matter how bleak it gets. Well, inflation is high. My God, it's 8.2, maybe a little higher, maybe 3, maybe down 1. It'll go lower before we elect in November. Mm, come on, somebody. But even in the middle of inflation, it's not like God looks down and goes, Okay, Mark, <laughs> I know milk's expensive, buddy. I know frosted flakes are $9 a box, son. But you still owe me. Oh, God, food is outrageous. Have you seen gas prices? It's not like God's up there going, yeah, okay, halt on everything. Nobody that's a Christian give me anything. I just want y'all to take care of your gas and your food and your children. But I read this, and it's like even in the midst of hell, he says, take enough with you that you always have something to offer me. So he does. Here's the next verse. All the living things on the earth died in yellow. Everything died in blue. All were destroyed in pink. Here's what I come out of that with. Noah built an altar. Get ready. He sacrificed as a burnt offering the animals and birds that were approved for that purpose. That means that God has specific purpose for your offering. God's thinking way ahead of us. And here again, and God was pleased. Over a year on the boat, but the whole time he's on the boat, God's like, no big deal. When you get off, you're going to give me the thing that was purposed for me. I don't know. And God doesn't have a, he's not trying to build a church. And here's what's weird. The boat was built before the offerings were even made. But God still expected it. Here's what I wrote down for Noah. His offering was the chosen. It could only be specific birds that were purposed for that. He couldn't just bring whatever. He said, I need you to think the animals that have been purposed for this, I need you to choose them, seven of them, male and female, bring them because we're going to use them for something. And what would they be used for? They would be used as a sacrifice. So this is not really a gift. This was a purpose. This is not something Noah really worked for, but it was something in his 50 feet that became part of his possession. It went up like an aroma, so God smelt it, which is weird. And humans died, so we still have death. And God was pleased. So the second offering is, we have a specific thing that's purposed and chosen. Sounds like Abel's firstborn flock. We have bloodshed. And we have, in the first offering, Abel died. And in the second offering, all the humans died. But in both offerings, God was pleased. It just doesn't sound like modern day offerings to me. Because modern day offerings, I wonder if anybody ever thinks when we walk up to this little basket and we put whatever we put in, that as soon as we put it in, God's like, wait a minute. Oh, man. Woo, that smells good. Anybody ever made barbecue? Right? Anybody ever eaten a chicken salad sandwich? Before you eat it, you better sniff it. Just, oh, that mayonnaise went bad. Mmm. It makes me wonder on Sunday if when I drop God my $2 after a hard week, whew, there you go, just get him off my back. If God doesn't look down in that little basket and go, oh, Mark, whew, Jesus, oh, that $2 stinks. 
That smells like rotten money. Would you give me your worst? Like, do you ever think when you bring your money or you give online today, which is even weirder, it's all digital, that when I swipe and go give digital and I put it all in, use this credit, oh, I just called Robin, hey. Uh, and I do that. Do I even compute that when that digital transaction happened that was so anonymously done, it happened so quickly I never even saw anything leave a hand and go to a hand. It just is in the ether. It's unseen. Do you believe, this is you, uh, I, I believe it, I don't know if you do, that when you hit send and it goes transaction process, and you're like, come on, go through, go through. Woo, okay, good, it went through. Approved. And then you get a little text that says, thank you for your giving to Believer's Church. I don't know how it works, but... Do you ever think that the moment you hit send that God stops a minute and goes, oh, whew, Mark just gave, that smells... Good. I guarantee you, most of us never think that when we give, God is smelling it. With some of us, it would smell like rotten milk, dirty diapers, bad feet. I don't know. I don't look at your giving, but I just know humans. But this tells me that he's sniffing it. It comes up like an aroma. Perhaps this is why... Abel's offering was such an impression, but why it also stirred the dark world as well. Because this is me. Again, this is way out there, but it's what I believe. There's another world that is out there we cannot see called the spirit world. And every time a believer gives something to the Father, an aroma goes up. And he's like, oh man, my kids. Oh, I can smell the sacrifice, right? This is what's happening. And then the dark world is like, oh no, no, no. So here's what's weird. Think this through a minute. I don't have time to go there. It's just too deep of a story, but it's a good thought. God smelt the aroma, and it must be such a powerful thing to watch. A bird. A bird. I take a bird. I bring it over and go, little bird, it's been fun on this boat. And I know you and your buddies were like, we made it on the boat. But you got on the boat because we're going to kill you. I know when you were on, you've been bragging for a year, like, oh, we made it. There were certain animals that only got two by two, but we got seven of us. We're so happy Cousin Bernie made it too. I know, and I know this is weird that we let you have a year of grace. We're going to kill you. It's a huge theological point that the bird that rode the boat for a year and the whole time he's on the boat thinking he's safe, he's going to die. And there's a lot of people that are on the boat now thinking they're safe. So, we're going to kill you. Plucks his feathers. Ow, that hurts. Ow, I know, but this is what you've been purposed for. What? To die. Chop his head off. Flay him up. A bird. A bird. Probably weighs no more than a pound. Unless it's a big bird back then. I don't know. Could have been a huge one. I'm thinking a bird. Lays the bird down. Every human on the planet is dead. Sounds to me, if there's every human on the planet floating in rotting water, that's a lot of rotten corpses for a year. That's a lot of aroma. Some of you aren't dead, but you have things inside you that when you let it out, smells dead. But could you imagine the whole world being dead? Dead. 
and the aroma of stench that goes up into the ether of the enemy going, yes, I've won because I am the God that murders and kills and I've murdered and the stench rises because Lucifer will never let the aroma of God outdo his own aroma. And so one bird, one bird outsmells all the death. It tells you the power of an offering. One little bird, and God smelt it. Oh, man, that pleases me. But what about all the rotting flesh? Here's what it was. The final offering is Abraham. Abraham goes to battle and returns from victory. He's trying to save his nephew Lot. He goes to battle and he comes in the green. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, was a priest of the Most High God. And he brought Abram some bread. And then Melchizedek, the high priest, blessed Abram with the blessing. Blessed be Abram by God, Most High, creator of heaven and earth. Blessed be God, Most High, who is defender of your enemies. And Abraham, this is the deal. This is the start of the tithe. It's the first time we note that the tithe is ever mentioned. And he gave Melchizedek, the high priest, gave it to him. There's no requirement that we know of. There's no specification. There's no law. There's no pastor. There's no prophet demanding it. There's no team he can be a part of. He just, out of his own being, he feels to give God a tenth. And that's what a tithe is. It's a tenth. It's a tenth of all the goods he's recovered. Here's the next verse. The king of Salem of Sodom said to Abram, Give back my people who were captured, but you can keep it for yourself, all the goods you've recovered. But Abraham replied to the king of Sodom, I solemnly swear to the Lord God, most high, creator of heaven and earth, I will not take so much a single thread or a sandal thong from whatever belongs to you. Again, it's the thought that there's something as an offering that belongs to somebody else. Otherwise, you might say, I am the one it made Abram rich. And what we get clued into from all three offerings, what we find out about each of them is that it was a human being being accountable to God with no expectation of anything else in return other than I am a human being, he's the eternal created being, or not created, he's the eternal creator, he's the eternal being. And I'm obligated and accountable to him. Abel was accountable to him. Noah was accountable to him. And Abram says, oh, no, 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 no. Ain't nobody going to make me rich. I'm accountable to one place and one place only. It's to God. He's the one that will make me rich, not you. But I'm going to give you the due. I'm going to give you 10% because I want you to watch. This is weird. The moment I let it go, I don't lose it because there's something else at work here. And what Abram realized is that the thing at work is the moment I release that which was due or give it as a gift or give it as an offering, what it does is it makes a statement of who God is to me. So every offering, Abel, Noah, and Abram, every offering was a statement of who God was to them. I don't know, it took me a long time to get there, but in my giving, it was never a statement of who God was to me. It was a statement of, I better do it because I don't want to get in trouble. I want God to like me. So I wrote this down, all three of them. Here's Abram. Abraham gave the goods. It was a tenth. It was a gift. Nobody forced it. It was given to a priest. 
And all the enemies were routed on the battlefield that day. I don't know how many of them died, but definitely bloodshed. And then Abram was blessed because of it. So these are the three offerings leading up to the tithe. All the words in the yellow, I took and wrote them down in a column. Here's the column. Because I don't have time to go through all the other books of the Bible. But the foundation of every offering that is to come through the book of Leviticus, all the offerings, the burnt offerings, the sin offerings, the tithes, the birds, the goats, the lambs, whatever they are, we can say about all of them that they carry these qualities. God always wanted the best. He always wanted the first. Don't give him the leftovers. It needs to be a gift, meaning he doesn't want to demand it. It needs to come from your heart as a gift. It needs to be brought to the priest. That's the Jewish system of worship. You'll bring it to the priest wherever he's at. You bring the offering there. It's a sacrifice, meaning you're going to have to let go of it. It's going to cost you something. There's going to be a death involved. It's going to be bloodshed involved. But at the end of it, you'll be accepted. And at the end of it, there'll be a pleasure and a blessing connected to it. Now that's almost, I'm going to shoot high. It's 99% of every offering you would ever study in the Bible will carry those. Does that look strangely familiar to something else? The best, the first, the gift, the priest, the sacrifice, the death, the acceptance, the pleasure, and the blessing. Here's my thinking. The purpose of every Old Testament tithe and offering was to connect humans to God by faith and sacrifice in order for the creature to remain accountable to the Creator and obtain acceptance. Every offering was so that you would have faith in God to be accountable to Him and accepted by Him. As long as you brought it, you were accepted. As long as you killed the bird, he accepted you. As long as you brought a cow, he accepted you. It had to be the best. It couldn't be a cheap one. It had to be the top dog of your flock. If you didn't have it, you could borrow it or buy it from someone else. But don't bring God the maimed, the broken, and the thing. He wants the best. Here's the thought. Should people, this is back to it, should people cheat God? We're back to Malachi now. You've cheated me and you ask how. Because God says in the blue, you cheated me out of the tithes and offerings that were due me. So now we're right back to the start. Here's what I've landed on, though. It's all futility. The offerings are futile. The tithe is futile. And if you think it's doing something profound for you and God, you've missed it. It's all futile. Here's how I come to that conclusion. This is an illustration pointing to the present time for the gifts and sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse your conscience of the people who bring them to me. For that's an old system that deals with only food, drinks, and various cleansing ceremonies, physical regulations that were in effect until what? A better system. So whatever God was doing in the Old Testament, it was a system. He's trying to take us somewhere. Where is he trying to take us? Here's where he's trying to take us. That is why Christ came into the world. He said to God, you didn't want animal sacrifices. What? Back up. What did you just say? 
Wait, 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 wait. He, he had to want animal sacrifice because that's what he wanted out of Abel and he wanted it also out of, out of Noah and he wanted that. Don't tell me God did not want animal sacrifice. The entire dad blamed 39 books of the Bible. He's ticked if I don't bring them. Don't change the story on me now. I have given and given and given my best, my best, my best, my best. I've gone through my flock and now you pull the rug and say he doesn't even want that? Sounds like a fake preacher to me. But that is when Christ came. Jesus said, you didn't want animal sacrifices and sin offerings, but you gave me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. And I said, look, I've come to do your will, O God, as it's written about me in Scripture. Next verse gets worse. But our high priest offered himself to God, a single sacrifice, good for all time. And he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool. For by that one offering, the offering of what? Himself. He forever made perfect everybody else who's being made holy. Next verse. It gets even better. The thinking, this is me. You don't have to believe it. Just throwing it to you to chew on. My belief is every offering in the 39 books of the Old Testament was leading us to one thing. The reason it was such impactful to God is it was establishing not a system of animal sacrifice, but he was showing us that no matter how much you bring, that his expectation upon you was the same that was upon himself, that he never expected anything out of you, that he doesn't expect out of yourself, but he told you he wanted the best bird, but that's because he was going to give his best. He told you he wanted the first lamb because he's going to give his only lamb. He told you you were to bring it as a gift because he's going to give it as a gift. He told you it had to die because he's going to die. He told you it had to have blood because he's going to have blood. He told you it's going to hurt because he knows the pain it's going to hurt. And he told you that it was going to be something that would please him and the death of his son would please him. So that every offering, every offering of the Old Testament is not because God wanted your money or your animals. He wanted you to know that he had the same expectation of you as he has upon himself. Except he's not going to give you a little bitty bird. He's going to give you the first and only and his best. There is nothing else. It's the only begotten. He's going to die for you. He's going to sacrifice himself for your sorry, no good, human, perverted, narcissistic self. And he's going to lay it on an altar. And the son is going to be like the little bird and go, wait a minute, I didn't do anything wrong. And he's going to go, no, you didn't do anything wrong. That's why I had that little bird killed on Noah's ark that was so innocent. That's why I had Abel kill the little lamb that was so innocent. Because I want everybody to know that what I'm expecting is the blood of the innocent for all the guilty people. So that Jesus, this is my opinion, Jesus becomes the reason for the offerings. It's not so you can get a shirt a logo or a tattoo or be part of some special team. 
It's because he wanted you to bring the tithe and the offerings and the sacrifices so you would have a deep, profound appreciation when he gave his. This on the right is Jesus Christ embodied. He's the best, the first, the gift, the priest, the death, the sacrifice, the acceptance, and the pleasure. You don't ever have to bring a dad-blamed dollar to the house of God. This is your offering. You owe me nothing in this church. This is your offering. He is the offering. You don't owe him 10%. You don't owe him a dollar. You don't owe him a dime. All of that was to teach you that your eyes need to be here. If you put something in, thank you. Because I eat off of it. It pays my bills. Thank you. But you don't owe nobody anything. Here's what I came to. Ooh, I better hurry. Seemingly, it's my thinking, as a New Testament Christian, mm, I like it now. I'm off the hook. I can get a Harley, buy a pool. I got 10% more money coming in. I'll give Joe his, Trump his, but I can keep mine because preacher said, we don't owe God anything. Because Jesus is my offering. Honey, ask him if we can get that 10% we've been giving back. Because I thought if we gave it, our business would be better. But before you get too heavy, I dug a little deeper. So what's required of me now? If I don't have to bring birds and lambs and 10%, he's not, does he require anything out of me? <laughs> Jesus is my offering. So there's no expectation on Mark anymore. Every dime I get, I can go on vacation, buy new clubs, buy a new bow, buy a new gun, buy a Harley, buy a guitar, buy a banjo. Because I got a new grandbaby on the way. This is what I believe. These are Jesus' followers. And all the believers say all. Nobody's off the hook now. That's everybody in the room. That's broke people, rich people, people on welfare, Medicare, Medicaid. They all were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was what? Oh, it ain't yours. Ain't nothing you have belongs to you. If you're a New Testament Christian, it ain't yours. The reason God doesn't want 10%, it ain't yours anyway. So they shared how much? Everything. The apostles testified to the resurrection of the Lord and great blessings was upon him. There was no needy people among them because those who owned land, wait, I thought they didn't own anything. They don't. They do, but they don't. They own it, but they don't own it. They own it because somebody else really owns it. They just manage the ownership. And then they would sell it and bring the money to the apostles to give it away. I realized how religious I was when I thought I was proud of myself for tithing, but I would never sell a dad blame thing to help somebody. I worked hard to get that motorcycle. I'm not going to sell the motorcycle and then give the money to the church. I worked hard for that boat. 
I'm not selling my fishing boat and giving it to the church. They don't need it anyway. I mean, that's why we have a benevolence fund. I gave $2 to the benevolence to help needy people. They can get a piece of cheese. I'm not giving my best fishing rod. This is where I started realizing I have just sold myself short and probably my offerings of tithe that I felt so good about smells like a dirty diaper. Because I didn't mind God getting the 10%. It's what religious people do. But don't ask for my car. Don't ask for my best pair of shoes. I just bought them. Don't ask for my guitar to give it away. I just got the guitar. But it said they would do it. Next verse. I told you to buckle up. I gave you a warning. I can testify they gave not only what they could afford, they gave more than they could afford. And I realized, though I was a tither, I never got to this level. Giving what I can't afford? That's stupid. You go broke doing that. Giving what you cannot afford? I mean, before I give, I look at my balance. $4. Okay, let's see. Okay, I'll, give, I'll give a dollar. I won't even give a dollar. They're not going to miss a dollar. And they did it of their, no preacher telling them to do it. No preacher saying, if you want to be an elder, you better tithe. They wanted to do it. Oh, wait a minute. These people are stupid. They begged to do it. I have been 45 years in ministry. I can think of about two people that begged me to give. Most are like, well, the preacher needs it. Let's see. I got a mint. And I got a beef talon pill. It's heart, beef, liver from cows. Like, that's kind of my thinking. Don't, I, I can't give. I've rarely had people beg, like, I just want to do something. I just got to raise. I, I just, I sold something. I got to give something to God's house. Most of us are like, I got more money. We're going on vacation. We're buying a camper, baby. I, we don't like to camp. I know we don't, but I got more money and I got to get something. Most don't beg to give. Next verse. For I know you were eager to do it. You wanted to help people. You Green, you were ready to give an offering. You did it with enthusiasm. Next verse. As a result, they give glory because your generosity proves what you believe about Jesus. Do you get that? Your generosity in yellow is proof that you're obedient to the message of Jesus. So I laid this out. Here's what we do. <laughs> oh, help me, God. I'll get you off the hook. You don't have to tithe. You'll need to bring me a bird, and I surely don't want a dog. And I'm not going to trick you to pay off a million-dollar debt or an obligation to this house today. Maybe next week. <laughs> I hate the obligation of a million. God, pay it off, God. Now I'm including myself. I have tithed since I was 15. It took, I'm not acting like I got here overnight. It took me a long time. Some of you aren't even to tithing yet. You, you, you at 4%, 2%. You at, you at tipping. <laughs> 
just giving God a dollar and feeling good about it. Well, I don't want to take that bread. It looks kind of good. I better give a dollar. That's fine. No condemnation. It's a dollar. Give it. However, if you're a Christian, here's what I've noticed because of Jesus. They gave all they had. Nothing they had was their own. They even sold to give. They gave far more than they could afford. They even begged to do it. They gave freely. They gave enthusiastically because it proved what they really believed about the greatest offering that was ever given. So my offering is not me giving an offering to God. My offering is in response to an offering that has already been given. I give because he gave first to me. Here's the thinking. Back to Malachi that Victoria Kate read. And then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other. And the Lord listened to what they said. And in his presence a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names. That's right now. You got a, your name is in heaven of those who always thought about the honor of his name. Malachi 3, though we've made it a chapter about tithing, is a chapter about honor. We've, we've talked about money in 10%. It was always about honor. God wanted you to honor his name. Here's the conclusion. It's not what you believe about the tithing offering. It's what you believe about Christ and what he offered for you. What Jesus did for you should stir you to honor. What does honor look like for a New Testament? It's giving far beyond. It's doing it willingly, enthusiastically, Begging to do it, wanting to do it as proof of what you really believe. He died for me. How could I not come with something in my hand to his house to say, thank you for dying for me. Thank you, God, for the job you gave me. What could I do with this job and all this money I've earned? God, I just want to bring it to you every week and go, thank you for dying for me because I was a loser. I was a washed up, no good, narcissistic drug addict. And you saved me. God, and here, here, God, man, take whatever I have is yours. And it's not that he minds me owning it and having it. He just wants it willingly. Here's the conclusion. As a Christian, your giving should be the reflection. This is hard. Took me a while. Not of your bank account, but your honor. Appreciating his sacrifice, his blessing, and his people. Here's the question I leave you with. If you today, I did it and flunked. I'm trying to change as I grow. That's why I shared it with you today. If you judge the faith of your giving, are you donating to religion or honoring his sacrifice? I present to you, I think most Christians see their tithe, their offering, or whatever, their dollar, their five, as they're donating to religion. I can write it off on my taxes and I want to help the preacher. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. But I want to take you a step further. Every time you choose to give in this basket, on that wall, or online, or anywhere, I need you to see that it is an aroma that touches the spirit world. And it is in relation not to your bank account and what you owe or have available, but it's in relationship to your honor of Jesus. So that when you walk up to this basket, though it's going to go in this church, it'll go into our bank, it'll pay the lights and the bills, it'll be part of this house, keeping God's earthly location moving forward.
But I need to bring it not as an obligation. I need to bring it as honor. And then you and only you. Because I'm not going to come check. I'm not going to look at your bank account. You and only you get to determine is what I bring truly honoring to him of my appreciation. Or am I just tipping him out of what I think I can afford? Or do we really come weekly, which is what I try to do. Every week I try to wake up and go, God, I'm giving you the tithe. I think the tithe is just the door. It's the doorway. It's not the end all. It's not the culmination of my spirituality. The 10% is just the door. It's just, you want all of it. So if I could just get to the 10. What I've tried to do is this. It took me a while. I'm not acting like I'm all religious here. I just now go, God, every dime I have is yours. I owe nothing. I appreciate the house you've given me. I appreciate the truck I drive. appreciate the clothes on my body. appreciate the job. I love my job. I love my church. But God, man, anything in my bank account you need, you tell me. You want me to give a truck away, a car away, a house away? It's all yours. It's yours. Now, I could pray that years ago. I didn't believe it. I prayed it religiously, like, it's yours, but don't ask me to give. (laughs) I have never given away a house. I think I might one day. I've always told God every house I buy, God, thank you for it. I appreciate it. If you want me to give it away, I'll give it. It's yours anyway. I've given a car, several cars away. I've given away 42 guitars. I'm just going to tell you something. The first couple of times, it was like pulling an abscess tooth. I felt like Abel. I felt like it wasn't going well. I felt like Noah. I felt like I was just locked in. Nothing was happening. But I'm so far beyond that now that I wake up every day and go, God, man, thank you. And now because of that lifestyle where I've learned that every dime is an honor, I'm not losing it. It's an appreciation of the life you've given me on planet Earth. I can simply state this of myself. I'm happy. I love my life. I love every day I wake up. It is a joy. And even in the middle of the battle and the storms of life, if my pinkies are numb or my wife's in a battle of cancer, I'm not struggling going, why me? I'm like, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for the sacrifice. Here's something. Now, it's money in America. Here's a dollar. Here's a 20. Here's a 10. I'm giving offerings to the church. I'm helping. That is New Testament giving. If we all do that, here's the weird thing. We lack nothing. The reason most churches have to pull on rich people. We need the rich people to give all their money and the poor people just give whatever you can afford. No, that is so not New Testament. New Testament is everybody in the room has something to give. We all give from an appreciation and honor of what Jesus has done for us. So even the person with $5 can give out of honor. Honor is due from all of us. Honor is due from everybody in the room, fixed income or no fixed income. God expects, do you honor the sacrifice of my own offering? If you do, then reciprocate of being a giver as I gave to you, Mark. Here's the communion today. I'm going to leave it up and ask you to pray this prayer.
Jesus, may my giving reflect my honor and appreciation of the offering you've provided. Here's the tough part. I know because I've been on a fixed income, a limited income, I've for many years was the only one in the home working while Robin stayed home and kept the home and the children and raised the girls while I worked. So this second part of the prayer is a little tough. I want to be willing, God, eager. I want to do it enthusiastically. This was hard. I put it in blue. Oh, Jesus, I want to go far beyond just 10%. And I want it to to show my obedience of what I think about your offering. And because I've lived this way, I've never lacked a thing. I'm blessed coming and blessed going. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. All my bills are paid. My debts are good. Because I chose to believe I'm not striving for 10. I'm striving to beg to understand you own all I have. If everybody in the room will do this, this church will never lack a thing. We'll take care of every widow, every missionary. The the obligation of the bill we owe to the bank will be nothing. If we all walk in every week and go, God, thank you for my job. Thank you for my family. And here's an offering of appreciation and honor. I think we can see it. Let me pray for you. Father.